Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Really excited for the panel tonight. And to start off, I want to uh, just ask where your favorite uh, date location is for dinner. What's your favorite spot to go and eat? Costco. Dinner. <laughs> free samples. You are Dutch. Wow. Yeah. Free samples for dinner. Honestly, home. 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 That's great. Jesse and Mati, favorite place? Uh, that hands down, Misu Sushi, downtown Holland. Oh, oh that's the spot. And my wife's cooking. All right. <laughs> we like little Bangkok, but most of the time we like home. That's really, that's good food. Good choices, good choices. So let's, we're in a series or a Q&A series on relationships. And so we have a bunch of questions that we're going to attempt to get through. So what I want to happen is I want, I'm going to ask a question. We haven't assigned people to respond. And so just jump on it. So if you want to, if you want to answer it, jump on it. Okay. Don't be, anyway, we want to be courteous as Christians, but with Q&As, we need you to be like assertive. Okay. <laughs> So, is it okay for a Christian to never be married? Of course. Of course. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus is our example, and he was never married. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 8, talks and says, Hey, I hope they'd be great to be single as I am. And they lay out that you can be single. Sometimes it gets, the idea goes around the church that you can't fulfill your purpose if you're single. And I would just like to point out that Jesus did. And so did Paul. Um, so I love being married. And I think everyone should, should, have, should be married because it's just so awesome for me. But not everyone is called and my wife's already taken. So um, yes, single is a valid biblical option. I think Daniel nailed it with the scripture, 1 Corinthians. So yeah, you look at Apostle Paul and you look at Jesus Christ. Yeah, Paul called it a gift. Uh, some people are gifted to be single. I, I definitely am not, but some people are. Uh, they don't have a desire, burning desire, to be married. So if a person has the gift to be single, they don't have that burning desire. And Paul brings out, he says, if you're married, he said, you're devoted to Christ, but you're also devoted to your spouse. And you should be, right? And he said, by being single, he's more, he was able to focus more on what God had called him to do. Just make sure you're single and saintly. Yes. <laughs> oh, come on. I like that. You live uprightly. You're not single and, and uh, playing around, but single and serving God is awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Really good. Let's jump to the next question. If your spouse uh, doesn't like one of your friends, should you still hang out with that friend? Number two. I was going to be quiet, <laughs> but I can't be quiet. Absolutely not. Um, when you get married, everything becomes co-owned and co-administered. Right? So it's no longer my car. It's our car. It's not her money. It's our money. Right? Um, it's not just my time, it is our time. So if I'm hanging around with somebody and she does not feel comfortable with my hanging around that person, says, I think they're a bad influence, well then that relationship 
gets the axe because it's not just what I want, it's what we want. In fact, my time is co-administered. We both have a say. When you're married, you do so many things together. Together, it's, that's what makes marriage really fun is when you pray together and eat together and sleep together and run together and work. To, I mean, everything that you can do together. And so you really do have friends together. And um, so if you think you can just like, I don't want to have anything to do with you, honey. I'm going to go hang with somebody that I know you don't like, but I'm just going to do it anyway because I like her. Um, you know, that's, that's trying to break the unity. And, and the blessing is where the unity is. Right. Especially those that are believers and following Christ. Like, my wife might have a check or I might have a check about a certain friend or whatever. And, I mean, God's speaking to them. I mean, for me, I, I, I joke about this a lot, but there's so much truth behind it. I'll say, the Holy Spirit and Mahdi keep me in line. Like, I just, just really, if she feels like a check about a certain person, I listen in that fast. And, and God usually brings a confirmation. And, yeah, so... Yeah, God used the Holy Spirit to, to guide me and the genie spirit. The genie spirit. <laughs> Proverbs thirteen twenty says that he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools is destroyed or suffers harm, depending on your translation. And he's totally right in that, yes, our time is co-administered, but also the people that you hang out with, not only do they take some of your physical time, but they take you in a direction. And they have an influence on you. And it can be really easy to think, hey, I kept this here, but you end up bringing home attitudes. You end up bringing home a perspective. And if your spouse looks and goes, hey, whenever you come home from hanging out with those friends, you're whiny and naggy, or hey, you're, you're rude and insensitive, whenever you hang out with that person, then they have every right and should speak up and go, this person is damaging our relationship. This person is damaging your future and your direction, and we're a team. That's great. Let's move on to question number three. Uh, how do you rebuild trust? Specifically, how do you move forward in a marriage after a spouse confesses to a decade of looking at pornography, and then how do you rebuild trust without constantly checking their phone history? A couple of things. I think, first of all, it's going to take patience, and the whole idea of checking someone's phone constantly shouldn't be a bad thing. There's things called ever accountable and covenant eyes where you can put that on a device, the tablet, the computer, all of those things which will send emails to your spouse and someone else that you can be held accountable. So I think trying to check somebody's phone all the time sounds exhausting, <laughs> but having a program on there that can say, hey, you know what, I want to change. Pornography is an addiction. And that can be hard to break, and that might be something that you need help with, and that's okay. So I think having something set in place to be able to have that accountability to stay safe and that a spouse can look at and keep track of and learning that trust is broken very quickly, but it's rebuilt over time, and being willing to put, being willing to put in the work. You know what I think about, Jake, is that this question was asked, and uh, you know, I think there's two sides to this coin when you, when you really think about this situation. It's two ways. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about, it's the love chapter, but it talks about love always trusts. You know, and I know it's a building thing, and maybe for that moment it's really stepping out in faith 
and saying, God, I really want this to work. But really looking at the other side of the coin, for the person that confessed, to me, I'm like, that person's trying to get better. And so whatever spouse, whoever was the one that was confessing, to the spouse that got the confession, look at it this way. They're, they're freed up. And they're looking for a way out and some help, and they're wanting an ally. They don't want to hide no more. And I think that is, that is a key thing because that person doesn't want to go back. Proverbs says, you know, it's the sin of entanglement of the sin that draws, entices a person back in. And they're just calling out, help me in this process. And so this is where you rally around each other. You pray for that spouse um, and, and allow God to do the, the breaking and you know what, I think it's okay to say for the person that wasn't stuck into it, here's my phone. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, that access to have it, but it's going to take time to build that trust. But it might be a step of faith the first time, you know, and once you build that, there's, it becomes a two-way road. Forgiveness is granted, trust is built. Um, and a lot of times when we go into things and when someone messes up, they want forgiveness and trust both to be granted um, and that's, it's, it's, trust is a process. And for the person who, who made a mistake, who did something, whatever it was, and the more that they came clean on their own, the easier it is to rebuild trust. But for them to recognize we're going on a journey and courtesy of, of my mistake, I am laying down some of my own freedom, in particularly the freedom of privacy, so that you can get bored checking on me. Um, and... And whether it was pornography, whether, hey, if someone says, hey, I had a relationship that went too far, regardless of how far too far was, hey, I want you to put, I mean, there's, Ever Accountable is a great one, there's Covenant Eyes, there's a bunch of different programs you can put on your phone that'll watch for, like, pornography. I got a phone, an app on my phone so that my wife didn't worry when I went on long bike rides. Um, but she can check where I'm at and how fast I'm going. Um, <laughs> So she can know that I'm still on the road. But if, if somebody has, a, has had a, a problem where trust is shattered, then when you go to rebuild, you go, okay, I'm an open book. I'm not hiding anything. And if you have access to everything, eventually checking it gets boring. Because you know and they know you're, you, you have it, and it allows you to rebuild it. And maybe they're checking it 15 times a day when they first get it. And then after a while, they're like, I get my weekly report and it's boring. Um, I just glance at it. It didn't say any red flags, so I move on. But trust is built. Forgiveness is granted. Yeah, I like to say that one of the things with trust, I mean, pornography, whatever other addictions that spouses find each other in, the biggest thing that Jesse and I like to talk to each other about is what I behaved myself in, I'm going to behave myself out of. Because a lot of times words seem empty. Oh, I'm going to change. I'm going to change. And then you keep catching it or maybe it doesn't change or you don't see that being reflected. And we've learned that the thing that we, we have grace on each other is I obviously am not doing very good in this area. This is really hard for me. But when I look at him or when he looks at me through Jesus' eyes saying, listen, you're my best friend. You're going to be my the one that's going to help me get through this thing that's very hard for me, I need your support. And you're pretty much vaccinating yourself, if you will. I know a lot of people don't like that word. But what I'm saying is when I confess, hey, honey, I'm struggling with this, vice versa, 
um, instead of him being like, why? And, and instead of pointing the finger and getting upset at each other, we support each other and say, listen, let me help you with this. When I behaved myself into, I'm going to behave myself out. I'm going to show that I can do this, but with your support and with Jesus alone. Let's just be real about it. Jesus needs to be a part of it. And Jesus can only be a part of it when there's confession. And when, there, when it's come out, when it's out in the open, that's when the Lord's in it. And the enemy no longer has a stronghold in that. Something um, is because they were asking, how do you rebuild trust? And one of the ways to rebuild trust is with a thankful heart, expressing thankfulness, not just looking for the falls, but appreciating the 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 victories um, and acknowledging the victories. And here's a scripture in Proverbs 20, verse 28. It says, "Love and faithfulness keep a king safe. Through love, his throne is made secure." And I hadn't thought about it this way before this question, but love and faithfulness of a wife or a husband, you know, when you're standing with your spouse who has tripped and fallen, and, but, but your faithfulness to look for and believe the best, and, and you're going to do it. And, and finding, getting on the same team is powerful. And um, condemnation uh, you don't want to team up with the devil who is the one who condemns. And um, you want to team up with God and give them hope and, and help. And, um, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a bad thing to be tangled in something that, that, that you've, had, you've struggled to get free of. And to have someone who loves you and is faithful to you, to stand with you and appreciate your victories. And um, that's awesome. That rebuilds trust, appreciation. Yeah. Let's move on to question number four. Should sex and marriage wait for everything to be perfect? Should sex and marriage wait for everything to be perfect? Well, then none of us would have sex until <laughs> heaven, so there'd be no kids, no nursery, no... Yeah, the world would cease to be, I think. <laughs> That's my, my thought. Uh, the, the question is really, um, are you waiting until you're perfect? Um, it doesn't say if this was... Uh, well, no, it does. It says the wife is wanting to be perfect. And I would ask the husband to say, you know, maybe what she wants to be perfect is herself. And, and she doesn't love herself enough to open up and think she's perfect enough for him. Or maybe she's covering that. There, there's, there can be so much that uh, could be getting, trying to be get covered up and using this as an excuse. And um, so I definitely want to get to the root of it. And because um, there's nobody going to be perfect I've actually told Dwayne before that, you know, we can have sex tonight, but it would be a lot more fun if the dishes were done. <laughs> you know, that's true. When things aren't perfect, a, a woman sees when things aren't perfect everywhere. You know, it's only in the movies do the, does the man and the, the girl just hate each other and tear up each other and criticize each other. And then all of a sudden, oh, and they madly want to jump in bed with each other. Well, 
maybe he does, but she doesn't. <laughs> I'm just saying, I better not say anything. I wonder, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if uh, the person that asked, if, you know, their definition of perfection, if, if that's coming from some type of comparison. You know, a lot of times when we compare ourselves to other couples or movies or whatever it is, it kills our courage. It kills who God says we are. We don't want, we don't listen to that because of all the definitions that we think it is. And, and, you know, if that person was standing in front of me and, and asked that question, I just encourage them to really understand, you know, what their, their standard is. Because the reality is, uh, Jeannie said it best, it's, <laughs> none of us will be having it if things were, if we were aiming for that standard. Um, I, I have four kids in my home and it's like, it's, it gets messy at times, you know, and it's not stopping us, right? <laughs> but sorry, baby. <laughs> but the reality is, there, I'm wondering if there's a, some type of uh, comparison, you know, and to to not compare yourself, but to look into the Word of God and, and look at your identity, and your value, and your worth, and know that this is a gift in a marriage by God. You know, this is something that God wants you to enjoy. Pastor was talking about it this morning. You know, it's, God wants you to enjoy that. So to not put that perfection standard, but just go to God and look at your value and your worth and the gift that God gave you. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, Paul is speaking to the two into marriage, and he says, Hey, that the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. And he goes on, and says, Do not deprive one another, except perhaps... So this isn't even like a for sure thing. This is maybe the condition, perhaps, by agreement, for only, but only for a limited amount of time, that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come again. And fasting. Yes, prayer and fasting, and then um, come together again. So this isn't an optional extra for inside of marriage. This is something he said needs to be part of your marriage. And there can be people complaining on both sides of this and he's like um he's being a jerk and expects her to want him or she can be unrealistic and one of the things that needs to happen is have a conversation and going in order to have a biblical marriage it should have sex we don't so how do we fix it um and having a conversation going, she may sit here and go, well, I need you to stop complaining about the way the house looks. Because as long as you're complaining, I'm going to keep cleaning and you're going to miss out. And you go, oh, I will shut up right now. Thank you. Um, <laughs> or I'm going to help you vacuum or what? But finding a thing and then going, all right, if you get into this a little bit and you go, hey, we've still gone a bit and things aren't happening on a regular basis, then we need to adjust our standard. Because the the Bible did not say, thou shalt have a clean house all the days of your marriage. But it did say that you're not to deprive each other, except perhaps for, with agreement for prayer and fasting. And if there is a problem, there needs to be that conversation of going, okay, if, if you don't want it, what could I do? Can I, do I need to pursue you more? Do I need to help you with dishes more? Is the laundry stressing you out? Because if laundry is stressing you out, I will wash clothes. <laughs> like, what can I do to make this better for you? And if we go into it with just our own desires in mind, then we're, our marriage will fall short. But if we go through it going, how can we help each other? We can have a phenomenal, blessed marriage.
And I know, you know, we, we don't know the exact details of both this couple, but if he's hanging on to some um, unclean spirit and maybe pornography, maybe uh, something else, and that is what she's, like, repulsed by or not able to... Uh, maybe the man needs to do some examining and get some help and say, you know what, I'm just thinking she should just love me as I am and I'm not perfect, but... Um, If you're full of demons or some kind of unclean spirit thing and you need to be free from it, she will love you and want you. But, but it's, it's, you don't realize that some of these things that you get, the, the pornography is one of them and some other unclean um, spirits is what they are. And um, they're, they're not pleasant to try to have unity with when you don't have unity with it. So I don't know, maybe there is something actually that the husband in this case, we were kind of picking on the, the woman being too picky, but it might be that there are some things that the husband actually needs to um, get cleaned up and come together with, get some counseling and, and really get to the root of the problem and get it taken care of. Can I just make one comment to the, to the, to the man? And I know this is an easier, popular thing, but... I actually tell young people this, our college kids, and I say, you need to settle with yourself that if I were to never, if I'm never able to have sex, will I still love Jesus faithfully? And if you're married, will I still lay down my life for my wife? Even if I'm never, who knows, maybe it's not by choice, maybe it's because there's an accident or something happens and you're unable to, will, am I still willing to love Jesus through loving my wife. And that's, like, that's, that's my thing. Like, go there. Because once you go there, then you'll experience the freedom in Christ that you'll be able to love your wife. And then once you start loving your wife that way, odds are she's going to feel safe, secure, loved. She's going to see the confidence in yourself. And it's going to be, that, that, that's the spiritual attractiveness that draws husband and wife together. It's when a man is confident in who he is and who God sees him as. But sometimes we get caught up in, the, I have needs, I have sexual needs, I need, and it's like, listen, you've got to kill that. It's like, if you've got to kill that, I know you have needs, but like, we've got to wrestle with this heart issue of, uh, of, of, of idolization of sex in, in, our, in our American culture. And so I know there are practicals, but that's my, my, my one comment that I'll make. Anyone else want to add on that? Or we're going to move on. Sweet, move on. Uh, so for remarriages, we're going to go into like a, a second marriage. Do kids come first? So specifically, kind of a, a description. I'm 59 and dating a 67-year-old man. We are, oh, we are both children of God or Christians. I'm questioning if I want to go further as he has made it clear that his children will come before me. My gut tells me to run and not look back. What is your advice? What should I do? I feel like it's the same as a first marriage. A marriage is coming together. It's becoming one flesh, regardless of if it's your first or your second. So I think the whole run is a <laughs> Holy Spirit feeling. Run, okay. <laughs> well, I just wanted to add, they, um, as they said earlier, the two are supposed to become one. If you aren't willing to become one, don't marry them. 
If they don't want to become one with you, run now. If you have kids, it is the saddest thing when you see couples that get married and it's my kids and her kids. And you're like, are you not a team? And they're like, well, well, no. And if, if you aren't interested in parenting with them, glad you figured it out before you got married. Um, if, if there's someone that you don't trust enough to trust them with your kids, then that's a big red flag. And if they don't trust you enough, that's a big red flag of going, why, why are we getting married if I don't want to become one and do life as a partnership with you? Exactly. I was going to say that if he feels like he has to protect his children from you, then obviously he's not trusting you. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Let's go to the next question. Is my happiness a valid reason for a divorce or for divorce? No. No. Negative. Okay, I'll give it a little bit more then. Yeah. Um, happiness, we don't go by our feels. We know that. If you go to this church, you know we do not go by our feelings. Happiness is something that, yes, we have joy right? Joy of the Lord. But my happiness, though Jesse makes me very happy, my happiness cannot be based off of what Jesse can do for me all the time. Because my wonderful husband is a man still, and he will fail me. And if I put that pressure on him, then he's become my God, not God, my God. Because if I'm putting my emotions based off of how he's going to serve me, how he's going to do this, that, and that for me, then really I'm basing all of our love and marriage on what he can do for me. And if my happiness is only based on him, then I can see how like, okay, valid reason for divorce, he's not supplying all of my needs. And that's not fair to him, just as much as it's not fair to me to be able to do that. Though, I mean, I make you happy all the time. I mean, that never, that's never a problem. But truly, the joy of the Lord has to be what we are basing our lordship on. And when we got married, we said, through sickness and in health, through the hard times, through the good times, Whatever it is that's going on in your marriage that you may not be feeling happiness in, this is where we have to communicate. This is like my biggest thing. Confess to each other. Talk to each other. And I know sometimes that's hard, but that is the best thing for your marriage, to communicate to each other that, listen, you are not making me happy right now with this Detroit line issue. <laughs> that's real stuff. Right? When, when he, back in the day, not anymore, there's freedom. But, you know, when the Do Detroit Lions lost, the whole home lost. The whole house went down because emotions were so bad. Hey, hold on, hold on. <laughs> First of all, she's not wrong. She's not wrong. I, but I grew because I knew they were going to lose today, so I didn't watch. <laughs> Because I'm like, you know, I'm going to be on a panel. <laughs> no, and she's completely right. It's, it's vice versa, too. You know, I, 
happy, when I think about happiness, I think about an outward circumstance. Uh, when I think about joy, I think inwardly, you know, and really the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's what gets us through the day. And you're going to have happy moments. You're going to have sad moments. I mean, I do make her happy, but I do make her mad sometimes. It's just, it, it is what it is. That's an outward thing. But if you know scripture, if you have the spirit of God and you are in fellowship with God, it doesn't matter what you face because Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome this world. And so this world will throw some tough things at you. Uh, and, and it is what it is. But the true joy in a storm is not going to come from my wife. Now she'll endure it with me, and that's the partnership. But we still have joy and happiness when things are hard. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Want to jump to the next question, or you want to No, No, I didn't get to give a verse. <laughs> for, for, uh, first Peter chapter 3. Talks about it says, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives um, when they see your respectful conduct. And it goes on, it gives some more um, addressing to the husband and says, if he doesn't treat you white, God's not even going to hear his prayers. So this isn't just picking on one side. But as I was reading through this this last time, I was just looking and going, God is more concerned with your witness than with your happiness. And I've talked to so many people that are looking at divorce and they're like, it's so hard. I'm so unhappy. And then they list how the other person's personality, issues, sickness, whatever, is causing them grief and stress. And you look and you go, all right, does Jesus go, oh, well, your happiness is my primary concern. And I look, and it says it here, but in my the Red Bible over there, I have a whole list of the other spots where he just goes through and says that your witness is more important than your happiness. And he goes, in your marriage, if, the, if your spouse isn't doing things right, this is your opportunity to be a light. And, and so I would very much go, your biblical challenge, biblical direction is to be a witness is more important than your happiness. Okay, let's read a little further. It goes on after it says, um, if you don't treat your partner right, that it will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. So that was talking about happiness. You want to love life and see good days. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from deceitful speech. You must turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Um, and just that understanding of Jesus has the right attitude and the right way to react in situations. And it's never, never a good excuse for us to say, I'm not happy or I'm angry because he's doing this or she's doing that. And so it's her fault that I'm unhappy. 
I'm unhappy because I choose to react to you in an unhappy way. I choose to be unthankful. I, I mean, there's certain choices. We have to recognize we can choose our reaction to other people when they're not acting right. When they're not doing things perfect, then, but I still can control. I still have the ability to submit myself to God, to, to decide that I'm gonna love life and see good days and I'm gonna keep my mouth from evil and I'm going to pray and you got something to say. After you're done. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, I've had people actually come to me and say, look, I cannot be happy married to her, but I could be happy married to her. Right? And they think if I just change spouses. Right? But that's not going ha- to happen. All right? um, marriage is a multiplier. You say, what does that mean? Uh, if you're miserable and you get married... <laughs> You just get more miserable. <laughs> it really is. Uh, it, it's, it's what you're bringing into the marriage, all right? Not, not what that marriage is doing to you. It's a personal issue. 99% of marriage problems are not marriage problems. They're people problems, all right? They're just, we're, we're not living right. We're not doing right. We've got bad attitudes. It, it, it's not the marriage all right? It's something that you brought into the marriage all right, that is affecting the marriage, but it's because you brought it into it. It's not gonna, it's, it, you're not going to be happy if you get out of that marriage and marry somebody else because you're going to be there. Right? And you need to deal with some issues. Right? And uh, by the way, marriage was never designed to make you happy. The psalmist said, all the springs or reasons for my joy, they're in you. They're in God. That's really good. We're going to go to the next question. Um, if there's a stalemate with a situation, who is the tiebreaker, the husband or the wife? The husband. And, and, and we say that with, um, w- with the input. Okay, he decided uh, what car to get, and, and I, I went with it. And I decided the washing machine. And the refrigerator. And the refrigerator. And the freezer. And the freezer. Yeah. And the stove. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I mean, we do things together. They were important to you. They weren't important to me. And so often, it's, you know, we have very few disagreements because a lot of things are more important to her. Let her decide. I don't care. You know, it's not a big deal to me. There's a few things that I'm, I'm concerned about, and, and she says, well, take care of those. Can I, can I ask you kind of a specific situation that I know a lot of parents deal with, or some parents at least? Okay. So like, where do, let's start right now. A lot of parents deciding, where do I send my kids to school? Dad's like, I want to go to public school. Mom says, I really want Christian school. Really want Christian school. Disagreement. Okay. Where do you send your kids? Where would it... In a sense, how do you, how do you have that situation? How do you resolve that? You know, well, we would, we would pray, Okay. And, and, don't, uh, don't, I don't think we should just brush by that. Pray. Okay. Well, that's right? That's not brushing. Saying, that's serious. What I'm saying is like most people wouldn't pray. Right? Pray, pray first. You know, there you go. Uh, some people like, oh, it's come to prayer. We're that far down the road. You know? <laughs> <laughs> prayer should not be the last thing. It should be the first thing. All right? And, and then don't just pray and, oh, okay. But pray and get an answer. Uh, pray until you can get agreement and get it together. And, and 
God likes unity. He loves unity. He's not trying to put, pit you one against the other. He's not going to say, well, um, you know, he wants this school, you want that school, and, and I'm just going to watch you fight. I'm, God doesn't like that. He likes unity. Yeah, it's true. And, and when both of you are seeking God and you want God's will, uh, most things are pretty, they're, they're not that difficult. Some of the hardest things that we've had is like, should we get a dog? But okay. we're going to talk. <laughs> she really wanted a dog. I do not want a dog. We will not have a dog in the house. It will never happen, but it did. <laughs> I, but I, I didn't force it. I kind of almost forced it. Kind of tried to, but it doesn't work with him. <laughs> and, and so we... When I gave up, when I, I told God, okay, I think it's a good idea, God. I don't know what you think, but if you vote with me, then you have to convince him. And we were, I, remember, I remember we were out running and we were talking about it. And I said, I really wish I wanted a dog. I said, but I mean, I really do not want a dog. Like, really, really. No, no dog. And she said, well, I wish I didn't want a dog. You know? And she finally gave up. And I am serious. I am so, I mean, it was like, I, I remember, God said, get my daughter a dog. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and may, maybe some other things, you know, won't be quite that clear or, or quite that simple or like a dog or not a dog isn't as important as, as probably your children and certain certain things about with a school and yeah. with your kids. I think, I think what this question's getting at is more of a, you can say, if I can use, who is there a male headship? And how does male headship play out in a decision I think, when it comes to a, a stalemate? Yeah, I think two, uh, two weeks ago, Pastor and uh, Pastor Jeannie, they had a perfect example when they talked about laying your life down and then or uh, serving one another. Submit. Yeah, yeah it, I mean that right there. Because when you look at any situation, it could be a dog, it could be school, it, it's whatever. Pray first, number one. But you also have to remember, follow the peace of God. Because even though it's not my decision, or I'm a no, she's a yes. If we're truly laying our life down, I'm speaking to men for a little bit. If we're truly laying down, we would listen to God. Because there's a lot of times I say no and I missed it. And I have to, I have to accept that weakness because I'm... I'm a quick decision. Let's go. We're done. Let's move, right? That's just, that's just me. I'm a fast talker. I'm a fast walker. Let's just, what did you say earlier? Kill it and let's go, right? We're just done. <laughs> that's just how I am. She's more the prophetic eye. She sees the vision. She knows what it's going to look like. And there was multiple times, multiple times where I, we, I followed through with what she said because I, I trust her decision. And I'm like, ah, that was a good idea. I'm glad we did it, you know? <laughs> It's, and so it's, it really comes down to also where is the peace of God? I think the dog is a great illustration. Uh, we weren't really, I kind of wanted one. You didn't want one. Long story short, I mean, this dog came to our life, and he's phenomenal. You know, it, and it's, a, it's the small details that God also cares about. Our children, every year we ask the Lord, where do you want them? Not where do we want them. I mean, the school that they're in right now, we didn't want them to be there originally. But God has opened a door and made things happen because he said so. We followed peace. That's just our experience and how we see it. That's good. It's, it's really good. I know... Um, as they said, there are so many different areas that hold different value to each of you. And having it always just be like, well, my way wins because of the man. Well, that's kind of dumb. 
I'm supposed to lay my life down for. So a lot of these, sure, I win and I lay it down. Um, and, and we go through, and anything that is more important to one or the other, there's not even a point to get into it over. And uh, during our pre-marriage, we got some really wise counsel that said, hey, there's a lot of things that the Bible's very clear on. If the Bible's clear on it, do what the Bible says. If you don't like it, do what the Bible says. It doesn't matter. But if there's an area that you can just lay it down for your spouse, do it. But in the event that you come to something that is not clear in Scripture and is super important to both of you, he said, pick somebody now that you can ask that you both respect that's not biased that you're willing to submit it to. Go to them. Both of you lay out their case and decide ahead of time. It doesn't matter who they agree with. Um, let them be the tiebreaker if this becomes something that you are both super adamant about. And we're like, that's great. We talked to them. We set it up. We have never had to go to them. But it was so great going, okay, it's not a, I'm just going to drive over you. If there's something that's that important, we already set up a system of going, hey, we'll submit to someone who's not, it's not like, hey, it's my dad who's going to side with me or your mom who's going to side with you, but someone who wasn't related to us, who's further down the road, who's really wise, loves Jesus, and could speak wisdom into our, our lives. I thought that was a really helpful thing when you have, if you actually have a, a stalemate, but we've always found that if we go to submit to each other and we go to prayer, that stalemates just seem to no longer be stalemates. And I do believe that um, where there's authority, there's responsibility. And, and I, I'm of the, the convinced that the, the man has the responsibility to make the final decision of things and follow wisdom. <laughs> yeah, he, he knows it. Trust me, he knows it. Uh, but but um, that's a big, a big responsibility. And when I see women just fighting sometimes to be the one to make the decisions, and I thought, okay, you want the authority. Do you want the responsibility? Do you want to be the one that God holds accountable for all of those things? I think the Bible's clear that, you know, if, if I go and I make a decision and it's the wrong one and my husband sees and corrects it and says, no, that wasn't the right decision and this is the one we need to make, then he's saved my skin. If I make a decision and it's the God right one and Dwayne overrules it, says we're not going to do that, then God holds him responsible, not me, right? That's what the Bible says. And he is held responsible for making the decision that was wrong. And so that's, that's huge. We need to support each other in our ability to make these important decisions or little decisions. But I do think that it finally lands in the husband's court with um, having that responsibility and that authority. That's good. One more, one last question. Jump into it. What does it look like to put God first before your spouse? Sounds like it. They're looking for some practical applications. 
practically, I think it's the same thing with your relationship with your spouse. How much time are you investing in your relationship with them and your relationship with God? It's really easy when you get a new friend or if you think about when you first started your relationship, sometimes you can become almost obsessed with each other where you want to spend every waking moment together and you can forget your first love and to spend time with God and to make sure you're getting in the word, make sure that you're praying and that you're following after what the Lord says and not just thinking, oh, what do you want to do today? But having that same love for the Lord and making sure that you're saying, God, what do you want to do today? God, what, what can we do with you, Lord? You know, and making sure that we're putting him first in that way and that we're putting him first when we are in a disagreement, that we're putting him first no matter what we're doing and making sure that we're making time for God, not just for our spouse and not allowing the busyness of life to kind of crowd out the Lord because even kids can take the place of the Lord sometimes because especially when you have little kids, it's easy to just be like, I'm so tired and I have throw up on me and, you know, like the list goes on and on. Whose opinion matters most? I think is, is just a, a huge thing. It talks about the fear of the Lord um, all throughout. And what that means is I fear your opinion. I want your approval more than anyone else's. Regardless of of what's convenient, I want to honor you. And so in marriage, that can mean, hey, if they're wanting to do something, you're going, hey, that's not, that's not right. Then you, you take a stand going, I'm not just going to go there because I, my life will honor God. Um, whether that's in the bedroom, out of the bedroom, finances, whatever, it's a matter of going, I will put God first because his approval means the most to me. And I think if, if you run it through that lens, it will sort all the different simple applications. It's like, who do you worship? Um, and I've seen it actually in ministry couples that um, it can be easy for a, a wife to want her husband to be her savior. Um, besides, you know, husband, maybe boss, um, but to really look to him, well, he's a pastor and he's this, and, and begin to depend on him to fill her spiritual cup instead of God. And I think that's taking God off the throne and putting the husband on the throne. And no, you know, we worship God. We get, um, he, he's the source of our help and our hope. And um, we can go to him together, but... But definitely that personal relationship. Just have a personal relationship with God. Fuel that personal relationship with God. Love him, appreciate him, worship him. That's good. Um, the having God be first just is number one, whether you're married or single. When we go through going, all right, am I putting God first or am I putting your opinion first? Am I putting my opinion first or am I going to seek God first. And if, if we can get that right, and then we can learn to communicate, we can navigate anything. Because we go back and we go, oh, hey, we had a disagreement. Well, what does God's word say? Oh, it says that I'm supposed to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's going to navigate how we handle this conversation. And I can go through that with so much because this is, this is supposed to be my foundation. 
And as we, we talk about marriage, if, if you'll build it on this, you can have a fantastic marriage. I am 100% convinced that if two people will actually put God's word first, they will have a successful marriage. Now, if one person decides, I don't care what God says, they can mess it up. But if we are determined that God's word is first, you, can have a, you will have a successful life. In Joshua chapter 1, it says, meditate on this day and night. And he says that it will make your way prosperous. But as we look and we look at our foundation, I recognize that married or single, that there are people here whose life is so planted in this word. And there are others who may say, I know all about it, but my life is not planted there. My life is not planted in what God says. I may believe that he's God, but I haven't let him be the Lord. I haven't let this be my guide in my life. I, I want I want a life built on God's word. I want to know that I'm, that I'm doing life his way, that he's my Lord, my Savior. I want to know that I'm right with him. If you don't know that, you can know that tonight. So I want everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes, and I want to give you an opportunity to make Jesus your Lord, to, to build your life on the rock that is not shaken. So if today you want to do that, you want to know that you're right with him, you want to build your life on him and in his word, I'm going to ask you to, to raise your hand when I say three. One, get ready. Two, three. Go ahead and raise your hand. That's me. I want to build my life on God's word. I want to know that I'm right with him. If you're online, you can just type in, that's me. Awesome. Who else says, that's me? I, I, want, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to build my life on him and on his word. I see your hand. All right. Well, the Bible says whoever calls on his name will be saved. So we're going to call on his name. You can put your hands down and we're going to say a simple prayer. I'm going to ask everyone who raised their hand or who's done this before to join me. So we declare him to be our Lord. Say, God, thank you for loving me. I'm sorry for my sins. I believe that you died and rose again. That your blood sets me free. I choose to live for you from this day forward. I declare that you are my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you again soon.